Hey everybody, this is Brian David Marshall with Top 8 Magic. I'm here with a very special guest this week. Uh, one uh, Brad Nelson. Hello. And, uh, you know, we're, we're attempting to, to do a podcast via Skype and iPad and no wind, jackhammers, sirens, or, or Michael J. Flores, sadly. But, uh... I mean, you, you, you get all of that or none of it. Right, exactly, exactly. So, uh, I mean, what, what's, what, you have a, you have a big, big thing coming up. I mean, which is, which is kind of why you're doing the, the media tour here. Um, well, I've, I've been wanting to do, get on top of magic for a while now, but this is the only excuse I could, you know, use to get you <laughs> on me the sh- on the show. So, yeah, I, I have been, what, blow, I've been blowing you off for like a month, right? <laughs> yeah. Then by blow, by blowing you off, it was like, Hey Brad, should we draft instead? Yeah. <laughs> And then, and you know that'll always work. <laughs> so, uh, although you kind of you, you kind of blew us off on that draft in uh, in Providence, you were like, "Oh, sorry guys, there's more pro points over here. I got to go do this draft." Oh, that's not really fair. <laughs> I didn't drink one too many fun beers, so I kind of wandered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fun beers were good. They were they were pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, so tell me, tell me about uh, tell me about this book. What, what's yeah, going so, on? Uh, the project is uh, was Rich Hagen's idea, and he was interested in my story. He thought everyone else would be. So uh, he ended up coming to North Dakota, um, the second Magic player or personality anyone to ever show up in North Dakota. The first being uh, you. Uh, no, Tom Ross was the first one. Oh, okay. Which both have loved it. Except, you know, I find any excuse to leave. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he came to North Dakota and we uh, ended up, you know, doing this, like, personal research project about uh, my life and uh, for a book. And it's about to come out in a couple weeks. Uh, Grinder, the Brad Nelson story. Uh, I personally didn't think that there was a book there, but Rich, Rich had other ideas. And, and as we started working on it, uh, it actually became a really awesome project. And he even, like, helped me out and realizing some of the things that I've done that I pretty much thought as, like, boring and just regular life stuff. And he said, nope, that's that's not regular life stuff. You know, that's that's something above and beyond and pretty interesting. So we did this project from mostly revolving around magic, obviously, and uh, and talking about, you know, going from the computer chair to the pro the pro lifestyle. Right and everything in between, so it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, and he he did like a little bit of I don't know if investigative journalism might be too strong a word, but like he he really like went and interviewed your family members and the people you grew up with, and like really got into like the building blocks of what made you who you are and how you were able to then take that and and be successful at magic. Oh yeah, and uh, and. Like I said, you know, I, I didn't know how to create a story where Rich Hagan, you know, he's a storyteller. He he was able to dissect what, you know, everyone thought and what I said and really get on the bottom level of, you know, who I was, something that I've never even done. Right. Well, I mean, it's, that that's never interesting to, you know, I mean, obviously some people find their, their own selves fascinating as we, we're all well aware in the magic community. <laughs> but uh, but most people don't see what's really unique and interesting about their own lives. It, it's only through the eyes of someone else that that really starts to take shape. 
Oh yeah, and and I, I've always loved his writing, and so I had to you know proofread my own book. <laughs> and it was it was the first book that I've ever you know read every single uh, word. I'm not a big reader. I get about you know three fourths away through a book, and then I said I'll never get back. It's kind of like how I watch my shows. <laughs> anything you know I'm, I'm like halfway through every single show that's out right now I just kind of stop watching but uh I start reading this book and it's boring right away it's a lot of you know the first couple chapters are just detail and I'm like oh like we're actually going to put this on the public <laughs> it was really scary and then all of a sudden you know I get six seven chapters in and I start like instead of reading about me I start reading about this like character Brad because I've never looked at myself that way. It, it was it was awesome. Like it's actually a really decent, like really good book. And I didn't think I honestly didn't think it was there. But uh, Satan believed in it, and Rich believed in it, and I let my entire story out. I didn't hold back and gave it to Rich, and he created something pretty awesome. That's fantastic. So so what is what is something interesting you found out about yourself while reading the book? Give it one little tidbit. All right, I'll give one little tidbit. Uh, it's one of the closing lines, and Rich, you know, might get mad at me, but it, it's a good one. Uh, after we're done with the project, like the last day, um, I'm, you know, <laughs> scheduling to take Rich to the airport so I can get home for a, a, a magic tournament that I want to play in. Okay. Online. Yeah. And while, while we're getting him ready, I just went to him, and I'm like, you know, I... The one thing that I want to get across, if anything, is that I really love this game. Like, it is really important to me. Not only just playing it, but the people I've met. Like, it's just defined a lot of parts of my life ever since I've, like, learned about the game, and I love it. And Rich, like, sits down and, like, tanks. And this is story Rich. Like, he's about to, you know, do a little acting. <laughs> so I'm just waiting. And then finally he looks up, and he's like... So let me get this straight. You want, you know, the world to know you love this game. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, while we were, like, you know, reviewing your story, there was a point in your life where you had no money, no job, no girlfriend, no, you know, you, you, you're you taking a break from school, and you have no prospects of any of these things. And all you still want to do is just play Magic all day long. And then, I, you know, I looked, and I'm like, all right, that makes sense, like... You got me there. And, uh, but yeah, like, um. That, that's kind of interesting, actually, just in the sense that, you know, I think the, you know, if people try to put a knock on magic, you know, it's that it comes at the cost of a job and money and a girlfriend and friendships. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, it's two different lives. And, and if you want to play magic at, like, a super high level, it, it is, like, it's two different lives, and and some people can invest in some can't. Well, I mean that's not fair to everyone. Because but but like, I'm but I'm saying at the same time through magic, I mean, it, it almost sounds like a lot of those things have opened up for you. Oh, they have, yeah. Like I mean, I'm I'm actually going on vacation today to Denver because of people I've met through magic. Right. You know, and they're not even magic players. I met oh, wow. them on my journeys, and now I'm spending a week in Denver hanging out with non-Magic players that I met through Magic. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. But more, more what I meant by that is, like, uh, there's some players in this game, like like the Luises and the Apollos, that they have this, like, natural talent that, you know, is just unbelievable. And for me to get there, I, ha I had to grind. Like, I had to spend years on, like 
working on such a high technical level that I was able to, you know, become a pro and, and not even know it until I actually got my first break in Honolulu. You, you don't think you don't think Luis is ground? I mean, yes, but like the thing the thing about Luis is like he's on it's different. Like I, I don't think it is. I think it's. I mean, I think that there was something really beautiful about you being paired in the first round with Luis in Honolulu <laughs> at your first pro tour because you guys kind of are each other in a lot of ways. I mean, he was before there was you know FF Freak. There was Fob, right? And he was just this, you know, he was just this online grinder. And he, people were you know, uh oh, you know, Fob's in my event, and people would talk about what decks he's playing. And then he would kind of like he kind of like popped up on the pro tour in London in the mid two thousands and a couple of pro tours. He played in the last round of London against Tommy Wallamies, and if he wins that round, he top eights. Which I mean, I I could find analogous to your like seven uh, zero in limited at nationals a few years mm-hmm. back before you, you know, arrived at the pro tour. And then, you know, really worked at his game. And if anything, I mean, I think once Luis got to the Pro Tour... Oh, oh, hold on one second. Sorry. <laughs> uh, once... Oh, hold on. Um, and then I, I, would, I would even say that once Luis got to the Pro Tour, that, you know, your... your uh, the, the rate at which success came to him and the rate at which success came to you are... You actually are on a much more accelerated pro tour path than him, right? Like he he kind of, I mean, you have the advantage of, you know, working with Luis and and, and benefiting from some of his experience. But I, I would, I mean, I, I think you I think you sell yourself short there. I think I think that you know people pop up on the pro tour and I think they just assume everyone's an overnight success. You know, and no one and no one thinks about you know the years of the Junior Super Series and playing on Magic Online and you know grinding in PTQs and you know so like you you've seen it for yourself and you're like man I've put so much work in here and these guys are such natural talents but I, I don't I don't and I'm not I'm not diminishing their their talent in any way I'm saying maybe either you're selling your talent short or you're diminishing their journey a little bit I I guess sure I mean I I, I can see that side of it. But then I guess, ever since I've been hanging out with Luis, like, when, when I watch him play, um, he does things that I couldn't ever, like, dream of. So, I guess my first assumption is it comes a little natural to him. Right. You know, because a lot of, a lot of his, like, ways of finding things are really natural. Like, I'll spend 30 minutes looking at a decision that he can figure out in a minute. Right. But I... And, and it doesn't make sense to me how, you know, like, how he gets to that point. Right, I I, th- I think that one. I think that that's a, probably, and again, a, a combination of you know just unnatural you know talent and you know millions of repetitions. <laughs> True. You know, and just seeing you know situation after situation after situation. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, and I don't think it takes anything away from someone to say you know that you've seen people. You know, I certainly saw there was a point where where, where Luis and Paul were, were like, you know, these sort of breakout stars at nationals, but hadn't really succeeded on the pro tour. And you certainly saw them struggle with deck selection and with with like closing a tournament. And no, no, you know what I mean. Like, I mean, there's people who just like they get to the higher rounds and they start to see the they start to see the end zone, 
mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they, they maybe they lose focus or they just, you know, are, don't have good tournament practice in terms of staying hydrated and well-rested. I, and I don't know that these are the cases, but, you know, they, they certainly had their struggles for a little while before they both kind of, you know, figured it out. So. It's really funny that you said that because uh, I, I, uh, I remember sitting on, you know, my computer watching, like, the Pro Tour stuff and looking at decos and things, and and uh, finally my brother qualifies for a Pro Tour, and they go to, uh, we go to Hollywood, that's our first Pro Tour. Right. And I was just, I was just uh, watching, but my brother's playing, and I, I saw Luis and uh, Chian's deck choice, and I'm like, like, before the word was even, you know, founded, like, all I could think is, like, do they really just take, like, Dirtle decks to Pro Tours? Like, <laughs> bring, like, ramp and a, a fairies? Like, we're actually thinking. <laughs> Why do you want to equip Lockstown Warhammer in this format? <laughs> they, 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 there was definitely a stage those guys went through where they, everything they loved, they loved for power for four mana. Do you know what I mean? And for life. You know, if you could cube it, if you could go four four four, then they were they were sold. Like, Wait, you mean you mean I can get four mana for I can pay four mana, get four power, and gain four life? Oh, I'm sold. We will we will destroy everyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually talking them in in Amsterdam where Kibler and I, like, jump on door right away. Right. And everyone else uh, that was testing was testing other decks. And, like, t- I guess Tom was on, too. Tom, Tom Kibler, and I were just sold on door. This, this is the treehouse deck, as we were this calling This is the treehouse deck. Yeah. yeah. And we we keep testing it. We keep grinding while everyone else, like, pretty much everyone else was trying to play their own pet deck until the day before. Right. And we kept battling. And the entire team thought that we had a terrible mono-red matchup. Just because every single pro tour they have a terrible mono red matchup, <laughs> like every deck they pick loses to mono red, and I mean the deck that we're playing has, you know, eight creatures with three toughness on turn one. Right. Like, the deck smashes mono red. Right. Can't believe, and no one believed it. So like we actually had to spend a day proving that we don't need like locks and hierarchish creatures or ravenous bailoth creatures <laughs> or some kind of life game. You know, everyone wanted to play like. A, a change the deck just because of life game because like Luis didn't have his locks on a higher so, <laughs> you know, so he's like alright like I'm not there's no way I'm playing green white without like some type of 4-4 four, four that game's for that's funny I, I thought you were going to say that he was scared to jump to the deck because it was too you know rock like too similar to the deck that had sort of you know he'd veered off with too many times but you're saying no he's like no I want to take it all the way back <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I need to gain life because red looks scary. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, the one thing that I, I looked back on after I did the project with Rich was I look at my career, you know, after, but so far, uh, because it was just laid out. We put my entire life on the table and, you know, I was able to look through and dissect it instead of just, like, having the tunnel vision that I've always had. Right. And I think of everything that's happened in my career, and the only thing I can think of is that if somebody wanted to script a career, you know, their dream career for a year and a half, what would it be? And I think it would be almost exactly what happened to me. Like, to the T. Like, I, I, 
looking back, like, those first two years, like, I couldn't have dreamed of anything better. Like, it just feels so good, like, you know. Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of unreal. Like, I don't know if people really remember, uh, you, you and I were sort of talking about it in pre-show here, but uh, coming into Honolulu, I remember, it was it was the week before, it was, uh, what, it was like San Diego and then Honolulu? Was it? Seattle. Oh, Seattle and then Honolulu, that's right. And uh, we, we were heading out to Grand Prix Seattle, and I wrote an article about uh, people who were winning in Block Constructed Online, and I was like, I don't know who this FF Freak guy is, but if you look, he's just won, like, a million daily events playing, like, 18 different decks. You know, it was probably, like, three different decks. But, like, you know, you were just playing all these different decks, and you were just, like, winning, 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 winning. And even the ones you weren't winning, you were, like, 3-1. And it was just like, who is this guy? You know, and it was just kind of like, hey, you know, I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's qualified for the Pro Tour, but, you know, check 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 out these decks. And, you know, give this might give you an idea of what's going to be good in a couple weeks when we, when we get to Hawaii. You know, immediately the article goes up, and, you know, Jake Van Loonen's like, dude, that's Brad. <laughs> Don't you know Brad? I'm like, oh, Brad, wait, was he the guy at National? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh. And Steve Satan's like, I can't believe you didn't know Brad. <laughs> like, well, where were you when I was writing my article? But uh, so, you know, and it, but it was it was kind of like it it high it was really interesting then that you you know that's your first pro tour that you're qualified for, mm-hmm. you know, sort of perfectly. You know, right? Like, how weird is that, right? It's like, hey, there's this unknown, you know, kid in the minor leagues who's doing really well, and he's going to play in his first baseball game next week. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we, we paid a little bit of attention to you in Seattle, you know, to see what you were doing and watch you in the coverage. And Which, then... And that then, was so fun. Like, that story's, like, one of my favorites. Like, I'm just, like, you know, I only have two eyes. I, I uh, uh, already got to sit at the big boy table with Luis and Paulo and them because uh, I'm friends with Raptor, Joshua DeLayton. Right, right. And they all sit down and I get their deck list and I'm like, you know, you know, I played a Grand Prix like in 05, dropped before I was even dead. Just I just went to the city to hang out with a friend. Right. And there's a bunch of Magic players going up. And so this is like my first Grand Prix and like I have like the best players in the world's deck, deck list and, and I start out 4-0. I already beat a decent player, Matt Marr, that I've heard of. Right. Um, and then I play against Jed Dolber. I don't know how to say his Jed, last name. Yeah, Jed Dolber, yeah. Je- okay, yeah. And uh, we get feature match. And I'm like, why are we in a feature match? Because I've never heard of him. <laughs> and so we sit down, and I'm like, are you like, are you, like, who are you? Because, like, we're feature match. And he's like, oh, I'm just a JSS super, local superstar. So that, that must be why we're, you know, featured. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm, I'm just happy he gave me information. Because that tells me that, you know, because... His ego allowed me to know he's playing fairies. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah, and so I beat him, and then you come up, and you tell me that you just want to meet me, and I'm like, all right, that was cool, and then I had no clue, you know, how much I was going to get bombarded the next weekend. Yeah, so, so yeah, so we, you know, we, we, we picked up that narrative, and Randy and I picked up that narrative in Honolulu, and I was like, hey, here's this, I mean, we talk about you in the pregame. Yeah, in everything. <laughs> And every and, single thing, uh, my name comes up. Yeah, I, you know, it's a, it's a combination of, hey, it's really great that we've identified this player who's succeeding on, on Magic Online and who's now 
transferring to the Pro Tour, right? Like, he's coming to the Pro Tour. And that's a great storyline, and, you know, it hits a lot of marketing things that, that Wizards wants to hit, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the way that, you know, the, 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 the online PTQs were. I don't know if they'd started yet or not, but, there you know, yeah, you know, there's, there's definitely this big incentive to, 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 you know, get people across there. And, you know, I feel guilty that I didn't know who you were because I like to know who everyone is. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, you know, what... Whatever this is, you know, let's, you know, and, and you, you you take a you take a shot sometimes, right? You know, you you know, guys, a feeling. So, and we're talking about, it, and then it's like, and then the first round pairings go up, <laughs> and you're paired against Luis, which is just insane. Yeah, the odds, the odds of that, like, there's been so many matches, like, and that's one of the big ones that there's like the story tale matchups. Like, I still have that exotic orchard, by the way. Do you? Yeah, I really do. I need to sign it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I gotta bring it with me. Uh, bring it with me to nationals or something. I mean, that story is pretty awesome too. Like, um, I I, uh, I was playing against Luis in the feature match. First round, a little hot up there, and I'm kind of you know super nervous because I'm playing against a guy that like I've respected as a match player for years, and I remember not you know it being. Two and a half months ago that I stayed up all night to watch him, you know, lose the finals to Gabe Nassif in the pro trip before that, and then go to work the next day. And so now, like, my first round is against him, and, you know, I'm I'm trying and, and competing, but, you know, I've got a lot of nervous energy going on, and I, like, break one of the cards while I sleeve it up and I didn't know it. Right. And all of a sudden I see a sleeve completely, like, warped by it, so I pull it out and I, like, need an, another card. And it was an exotic orchard, and... And all of a sudden, BD's like, yeah, I got that for you. And I get it I get it handed out. So I thought you just got free cards when you damaged them for the rest of the, the pro tour. <laughs> you know, no, I, like, I, literally, I literally had the cards from a draft in my pocket. You know, and it's like after the draft and you split up the rares and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had, and there was an exotic orchard in the draft. So I just happened to have it in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought maybe, like, we actually got, like, replacement cards. Like, it was that professional, <laughs> you know, like, if a car gets damaged, you know, we got to switch it out quick. Right. Next round, you're like, this Blood Braid Relf is not very lucky, tearing it up. <laughs> Judge, I need another card. <laughs> that would be awesome. You, you know, it's it's so funny because, you know, you could uh, you could never do something like that just because, you know, you know people would just tear it. Yeah, this card's no luck, no good anymore. Give me a new one. Or, like, just try to damage them just a little bit. So then they can, like, resell it and just get new versions of it. Right. Or try to run it, like, four times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're magic players. We love value. Like, yeah. There, there's, a, there's, there's an old story uh, about a... So he was an East Coast magic player. This is way, way, way back. This is, like, 1995, who was rather notorious for his shadiness. Um, and it's not any of the names you're thinking of. I'm not going to name names because it's not really worth it at this point. It's fine. But um, but it's not anyone you're, you know, any of the famous names. But this guy was like the master. And he would run things on every possible level. And so it's, I believe the story goes, he's playing against Chris Pakula at Worlds in Seattle. And he plays the serrated arrows. And theatrically sort of pats down his pockets to like put counters on the serrated arrows and he's like oh I don't he's like judge judge calls over a judge and he, you know pats himself he's like judge I don't have any counters for my serrated arrows and uh, the judge is Dan Gray who's a sort of like 
you know, like, oh, he's a very dramatically, dramatic sire. He's like, ah. Oh. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out like a quarter, a nickel, and a penny or something and throws it on the table and walks away. Jason Gordon, oh, oh well, waits, <laughs> waits until he's gone. <laughs> Wait, waits until Dan's out of earshot. Sort of like hoards the three coins towards him, like 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 it's like the biggest poker pot in the world. Yeah. Like, and he's just like, I've made two dollars and seventeen cents so far this tournament. <laughs> like when you're competing in a big tournament, like world, there's a little money in the line. He's thinking about two dollars and seventeen cents. Yeah, no, it's just the art of the deal for him. That was the only thing he cared about. That's insane. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories of all time. That is really good. <laughs> so, oh, so, and, you know, I, I one of my other memories of Honolulu is, uh, so la- last round of the tournament, right? Or, or just part, coming up on the last couple rounds of the tournament, uh, we're doing, we're doing deck techs. And when we get towards the end of the tournament, we're, we're really trying to jam as many in as possible, show off as many decks as possible. And, you know, we really wanted to get you on camera, we're like, oh, you know, he's obviously acquitted himself super well this tournament. You were, uh, you know, I think you you lost to Luis, right? I lost to Luis, and then, but then you you went on kind of a tear, and in the end, you end up finishing ninth at that tournament, which is mm-hmm. pretty ridiculous. Like, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'll, t- I'll talk about that afterwards. I mean, I'm always amazed by Magic players, like, oh, you know, I finished sixteenth, you know, at, at a pro tour, and and, and are depressed. <laughs> I mean, was it five minutes after it happened? Uh, no, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I, I know people who've quit Magic over, you know, only making top 16. That's insane. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, and, we, you know, we, we were like, hey, listen, you know, do you, do you want to come and do a deck tech with us? You know, and you're like, ah, I don't know. And, you know, I'm like, I'm like, kind of like not really giving you a chance to actually answer the question. I'm just sort of hurting you. <laughs> <laughs> towards the, the the arena, and uh, and you're like, why am I doing this? And you, do you remember what I said to you? No. Really? I, I don't remember. That. I said I said because, you know, the reason you you know we want to do it because you know obviously this is what we do. But the reason you want to do it is you're going to put your face out there. People are going to know who you are. Within a month from now, you're going to be writing a magic column, and uh, you're going to be famous. <laughs> I, I still don't remember this now. All I'm thinking about now, though, is, you know, the future uh, deck techs that you hear me do, yeah. I don't sugarcoat it as much. Where I'm, you're like, Brad, let's do one. And I'm like, no, I'm concentrating on the tournament. You know, I have, like, three more rounds, and i got to win two of them to make top eight. And you're like, don't make me make you do this. <laughs> <laughs> I have pictures of Brad. So most people don't know that, but I can. That's how we, that's how we get people to do the deck techs. We have uh, incriminating photos of them playing other card games. Yep. I did. I did play Yu-Gi-Oh for a week before I learned about Magic. Did you really? I'll even admit it. Yeah. And then I actually played Yu-Gi-Oh about a year ago when my card shop owner paid for the entry fee. He just wanted me to play in the event. That's hysterical. So, so I had to like reread how to play it. Like I had one of those like 1997 like rules books in front of me while I'm trying to play the game. <laughs> And uh, I lose round one because I have no clue what's going on. But then I figure it out, and then I win three more. Right. right. <laughs> well, do you that uh, was pretty interesting? Do, do you have, have have any of the 
Yu-Gi-Oh players from your local shop sort of migrated towards Magic as they've seen you be successful? Uh, I mean, they kind of go back and forth. Like, our, our community, like, in Fargo, at least, like, I just moved to Bismarck, and, like, I got a room or an apartment with my brother and just, like, living oh, awesome. back close to family. Um, but in Fargo, when I lived there, uh, their community is really big. Like, they, they have, like, 20 people for Yu-Gi-Oh and, like, 50 for F&Ms and things. Right. And you see a lot of overlap, at least sure. I do. Sure. Like, people just love gaming in that city. It's kind of, like, not as hardcore of a Madison. <laughs> okay. So if, if Madison's, like, the, the, the PTQ, this is, you know, Fargo or Bismarck is, like, the F&M? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool you're living with your brother. That's, uh... Is that is that the first... How, how uh... How, how does he uh, get home from the store? Like, do you have to pin a note to him with directions for people? Like, your your brother is really bad oh, yeah. at getting places. Okay, yeah, he uh, he's a space case. Uh, <laughs> he finds his way home, but that was so bad. I, oh. So, so we're. I mean, uh, it's was it day one or day two in Paris? It was day one before we even registered. <laughs> It's day one in Paris, leaving the hotel, and uh, I run into Brad and Corey in in the lobby. And I'm like, oh, I'm heading over to the site. They're like, oh, we're heading over to the site. Great. So we start, we leave. It gets, we, it's even, with, we even are leaving pretty early, too. Right. And it's within walking distance, and we start walking, and Brad turns to me, and he's like, hey, do you know, are you sure you know where we're going? And I'm like, I don't know where we're going. I Corey said he knows where he's going. This is after, like, BDM and I spend, like, 30 minutes gabbing and just following someone. Like, I thought I was following BDM. BDM was following Corey. And Corey was just walking. <laughs> and, and Brad panics. He's like, we're following Corey? Like, oh, my God, you know that Corey actually has no idea where he's going? And I'm like, well, I mean, he said, no, ever, anywhere. <laughs> and we were, we were colossally lost. Yeah, we were so far away, and Corey just turns around when I say that, and, like, I bet you could read that this situation has come up numerous times for me, <laughs> and Corey just turns around, and he's like, no, I really think, I think it's, like, two more blocks this way. Yeah, yeah, he kept insisting, like, yeah, we were we were kind of, like, pot committed and just kept going for a few more blocks, and finally, it was like, all right, we need to find a cab, which was impossible. Yeah, it was so insane. We finally get, I mean... Once we get the cab, we tell them, what, $20, get us there in five minutes or right, something? Right, 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 right. I still owe you for that cab. I forgot. No, no, you don't. I made your brother pay. Oh, okay. I, no, no. No, it was like, I, I definitely, I was like, I was like, I, I will give you uh, 20 euro if you just get us to this place in five minutes. And then as we got out of the cab, I was just like, all right, Corey, give him 20 euro. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, we finally get there, and I... I get everything done, ready to go, just just before sitting down. So, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> and you had a lot going on with that tournament. So that that's the tournament where you know you're not only kicking off your your season, right? You know you're just you know not only just kicking off 2011, but you have to still wrap up 2010. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still thinking about 2010. How how much how much were you thinking about that? I mean, you tried to be pretty jokey about it with people, and you were pretty. You're like, oh, you know, you know, but I mean, it was, it was really weighing on you, right? The, the whole thing about, like, I, oh, so 
Player of the Year didn't mean anything to me until, like, Kibler made it something to worry about in Amsterdam. Like, the first time I ever really considered Player of the Year was after I was, like, ahead right after Amsterdam finished. Right. And Kibler, you know, is telling me, like, just just win this. You know, it's worth it. Like, you're here. You don't have many opportunities. Like, since it's, like, tangible, you should, like, really go for it. And uh, I'm like, okay, so I invest time and I go to some tournaments and that I wasn't going to go to. I mean, it was not really difficult to sell me on it because yeah. I was, like, top eight and everything anyway. And I just hit level eight. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And then, you know, Worlds comes and, like... The whole media, you know, is talking about how every single time I lose, I get a Twitter update. They, thanks for that, BDM. <laughs> and, and because I'm in the Magic Online thing, I get to actually see Twitter where I wouldn't see it anywhere else. So now I actually get to see all the Twitter updates of me losing all my rounds. Right. And uh, then we go and test for Paris. Uh, once the tie happens, it's kind of, you know, it's no. It's it's pretty cool when we tie. Like, right away I didn't like it, but afterwards it was kind of cool because, like, hey, I'm tied for this thing. It's never happened before. I get to play a match, so it's never happened. But, like, Gabe Walls puts it in my head of how important it was. Pretty, you know, I, I, I don't... He probably had other motives, but he told me, you know, how important it was, and all the people were making such a big deal out of it, so I, you know, did not want to lose it. It was... <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, it was... That was such... I mean, I, I felt terrible for you when, you know, it happened, you know, because I know, I know you wanted to, I felt, you know, and it was, you know, but at the same time, I was so excited, because... Well, yeah, what, I was the only person on this planet, like, that should feel bad, or probably did feel bad, even my brother's like, you're in this playoff, it's sweet, yeah. I'm like, well, I could have just won it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, there was so many tumblers needed to fall just right for that tie to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of insane. I mean, this, I mean, and again, this goes to George, that storybook, right? And this is all, and, and all of this material is covered in the, in the book Grinder. But like, you know, again, think about it. Like in Amsterdam, you play Kai in the top eight. Yeah, exactly. Who, who is, yeah. who's just never, who's basically lost to like two people ever on a Sunday. You know, he's got it's just like, like 93% or something. Yeah. Yeah. He's just got ridiculous. He's got like 30 wins on Sundays. You know, <laughs> 30 match wins on Sundays. Crazy. Um, and, you know, and then and then the tie, right? Which is something, I mean, we talk about going into the last Pro Tour of the year or going into Worlds, we always talk about the scenario where there could be a tie because, mostly because it's something I've always wanted to see. I mean, you know, it's just like if someone gives you that one-of-a-kind one scenario, you're like, well, I want to see a one-of-a-kind scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but then for it to actually happen that way was just... Again, uh, you know, you couldn't have scripted it. You know, it had been like, oh, come on. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I'm not buying this. <laughs> let's go Let's go to the other theater and watch Transformers. Yeah, I know, right? It's like, but, yeah, exactly. Like, world was so unreal. Like, you, you don't, like, every single time I've ever seen a player of the year race, like, there's somebody that's in the lead by, like, six points and they lock it up, right? Right. Yeah, this year I was ahead by 15, and there was two people in top eight that were playing against each other that both could win it. Right. Like, what? Yeah. Like, I have to root for the guy, like, I actually need someone to win a round, and then I have to root against him in the next round. Right. So, so unreal. But, uh, I mean, the, the cool thing about the match, now looking at it, like, 
because it's not, you know, like, taking myself outside of actually playing it. You know, it's cool that there's a, like, a, a, a big feature match that everyone knows who's in it. Like, for right. months, there's, like, this match between two Magic players. Like, I kind of want that to happen. I want, you know, like, this, like, at Worlds this year, us to put, like, like, an American pro versus a European pro. Right. And just, like, get to promote it, and then they have to fight. Right. Oh, man. You do Kai versus John to determine all time. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you could actually get those two to do that, that would be unreal, right? That would be insane. <laughs> oh, my God. It would be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was kind of like against Yom. And, like, Yom's an awesome guy, and I really like him a lot. And uh, we had a lot of fun. He made it a lot more fun than I was trying to make it. Right. Uh, I just wanted to beat him and be done with it. It was so funny. When I was doing the, the, the tale of the tape interviews, like, you know, just going to both sides, and I was like, you know, do you have any trash talk to Guillaume? And Guillaume's like, no, I don't have any trash talk. I'm like, well, Brad had trash talk. And he, I, his face fell. He was like, no. No, Brad would never trash talk. It was like, I had, I was like, no, he didn't really trash talk. He, he kind of like trashed around, he, he, he skirted around trash talking. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, very good. You know, he just, he just could it was, it was so obvious how much respect and, and, uh, admiration he had for you in that oh, interview. Yeah. We just, we had a lot of fun around it. Yeah. I mean, I, I got to meet him in San Juan and, um, I mean, the cool thing about it is both of us during that season all could have like, you could have said we gave up the chance of winning the match. Like if, if, if it felt different and one of us was like a point short at the end of the year, we could both be blamed for that point. Right. So it's kind of cool. Because, like, he gave me a draw that I didn't have to give, and I gave somebody, I conceded to somebody a point to somebody else earlier in the season. I, I got to tell you, I would have never forgiven myself if you hadn't won. Because the of... Because, thing? Because of Dredge of Vine. Because of what? Because of Dredge of Vine. Like, okay, so my dad <laughs> told me the story, and he's like, BDM felt so bad about, like... <laughs> This Dredgevine thing. And the only thing I can think about is I do consider, like, that one of my greatest accomplishments ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> I top aided a tournament without a constructed deck. <laughs> there was, you know, eight rounds of constructed, and I didn't have one. And I top aided it. But, like, you can look at it the other way. You do know that I made top eight of this event and lost to the mirror match. Yeah. Like... That right there, too, like, you know, shows, like, it's all right. Like, you can, like, you know, wipe the sweat off your brow, but it's all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, literally, literally any other deck for you, I think. You know, any other known deck. Mm. And you're in a much better position going into that top eight. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, like it's not... Like, not, not was the first time my brother out, uh, out like, we, we've never really butted heads about deck choices. This is the second time. And the first one, like, I was correct, but that time he was way more correct. Like, Naya was probably... Naya or Mythic were probably the two best choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were both insane. Yeah, they were both really good for that tournament. My brother hasn't been queued for a pro trip for a while, but he's uh, queued for nationals, so... Oh, exciting. Yeah, we're starting to test. Are you uh, are you coming to Chicago for the 75K? Did you, qual did you get any points for that, or...? 
No, I, I didn't get any TCG points. I, I did spend a little bit of time. Rip Doherty's doing that, right? Uh, well, not, he's not involved anymore. He was involved for a little while. Okay, well, while he was involved, I was trying to talk him into letting a pros into the tournament. That was the only real, you know, right. tournament I was trying to I mean, win. There's 16 person grinders on the Friday before the tournament. When is this? And, and two people qualify at each grinder. 16 person tournament? Yeah. Like, 16th place for this, 32nd place for this tournament is like 750 bucks. And what formats? Uh, it's all standard. And when is it? August 12th weekend, whatever that weekend is. Oh, I, I, I actually would consider going, but I'm going to be uh, doing an SCG. Oh, you're doing the booth? Yeah, yep. My first booth is Seattle in two weeks. Awesome. That's and exciting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I wanted your job, you know, so <laughs> I'm going to start practicing and getting better, and then I'll take it in a couple of years. Okay. Okay, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm still doing it in a couple of years, you're welcome to it. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm going to be working with Gavin. I, I uh, haven't worked much with Gavin. I think it's going to be great because he uh, he likes to talk a lot. So I don't have to, you know, stress about material, you know, once we get to, like, day two. Right, right, right. But I, I can't wait to do uh, to Richmond. I get to do it with uh, my uh, my best bro, uh, Jake Van Luden. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we, we spend hours, hours and hours and hours a week just gabbing about ridiculous things already, so you put you, you put us in a booth to do it, but in front of a lot of people, yeah. It's going to happen. Sweet. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's very sweet. What, what, are you, uh, what, are you, what are you thinking about as far as, like, uh, look, looking at M12? So, I've been actually thinking a lot about this because I'm going to write an article today about Standard. I'm preparing for the, the end of... And, uh, I don't really know, uh, what to think about all these, like, really good decks. Because I know, like, Tempered Steel's a really good deck in Standard, Mono Red's really good, and, uh, probably Valakut. Right. And then the, the big question is, is if, uh, Splitter Twin's good or not. Uh, it just feels like it's a couple cards short of being really decent, plus people have Dismember and Mono Red's out there, Double Burn Spell. Right. Um. But that one can hold some decks down. Because, like, if that deck's not popular, then, like, blue-white will be good. But blue-white's not going to be good if there's mono-red, tempered steel, Velika, and Splinter Twin in the format. And and pure blade, right? Like, people are playing, like... People are playing, like, Callblade decks with pure steel paladins subbing in where Stoneforge Mystics used to be and, like, extra artifacts where, I guess, Jace used to be. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're running... Uh, Pretty much blue for preordain and some counter magic, right? And then just a white aggressive deck. I think that deck's fine. The problem with it is, um, it's another proactive aggressive strategy that I feel is a turn slower than all the other ones. Like I feel like it's a turn slower, so it's, it, it it should be good against like Velika because counter spells plus feast and famine just are really good against Velika. Right. But like I fear how it'll do against like tempered steel or right. Or mono red, especially when mono red gets lava answer. Yeah, mono red seems so like such the elephant in the room for the new standard. Like, I, like you have more burn than you could possibly play. You have good efficient creatures. You know, you have abundant answers to core firewalker. 
right? Like, like if you really want, if you don't want to lose to Core Firewalker, you're never going to lose to it, right? Like, between Shrine and Burning Rage and uh, Dismember, you know, that deck seems crazy. Yeah, it seems it seems like it's going to be very good. I've uh, I had a big fear for it like a week ago, but now I really like the thing about it is, is besides Shrine, everything just does three. So like. I think the decks are going to want to be like the just the burn, the the burn version. I think you still get clocked by Valakut if you don't have a Goblin Guide, which is a, a a really big problem. Right. So you might need other spells because I think Valakut's going to be really good right out of the gate. And, and do, like you, do you feel like there's some pressure though to not have like. Like, this is something, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, talking to people about red decks. Like, do you feel like there's some pressure, though, to not have creatures? Like, to be able to, to be able to play the deck as a burn deck and sort of, like, negate people's, um, game one hand somewhat? Well, what, what creatures are you talking about? Like, you're not going to take goblin guides out of the deck, are you? I don't know. I mean, you can't take goblin guides out. There's not that much removal out there, especially with Ori coming back. People are going to start playing, like, Oblivion Rings. Right. Which I don't think it's as good. Like I was excited to hear that Oblivion Ring was back, but now thinking about it, like there's not any Planeswalkers I really want to put under. Like ever since Jace left, like all the Planeswalkers disappeared. Like there's not many Planeswalkers in in play right now, and that's because the format actually got more aggressive than that, which is you know kind of shocking because Planeswalkers have been deciding our tempo for so long. Sure. Um, but now it, the 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 game's gotten faster than Planeswalkers themselves. Right. right. Um, and, all, and all the Planeswalkers tend to be more um, conservatively costed, right? Like, yeah. the, the most aggressively costed one is Chandra, and she's pretty fragile. Oh, she's very fragile. Um, but yeah, but like, I mean, I, I just love how everything comes around, because like, once when Planeswalkers originally came into the game, they sped the game up. And you couldn't play these Drago, and and mid-range decks, like, you had to be able to deal with these Planeswalkers, and, like, now they're, you know, the best one just got banned, but then the rest of them aren't really seen playing. That might change, but I don't think it will with Temperstone, Mono Red, and Valakut uh, owning the format right now. Right. Like, because they just attack at so many different angles. Like, I really was trying to build a blue-white control deck, but without knowing what a is actually going to look like, um, because I have no clue people are going to show up with. Like, Mono, we all think, like, Mono Red's going to be there, we all know Valakut will be there, but the really surprising thing is on Moto, Tempered Still just, like, just shot up this last weekend. Oh, interesting. Like it was, yeah, it was winning everything. If you go on, like, every single result, like, there's a there's a PE that, like, five of the top eight decks are Tempered Still, and none of them look anything like each other. Oh, wow. Like, they, there's different splashes, there's, there's, like, the creatures are different, some are playing, you know, there's just, like eight cards different in each deck and it just shows that that archetype is actually really powerful right now right and I don't think that changes with uh, the new set uh, Grand Architect I think could finally got enough cards to be really good too what, what do you think uh, pushes it over the top uh, Solemn Simulacrum yeah yeah, yeah cards yeah. so good yeah I mean it gives you two different paths to like a turn or um, uh, Worm Coil Engine right against the aggressive decks, and, uh, I mean, I just loved playing with that card before, and now it just, I think it's even better now, honestly. Well, I mean, there's, I mean, there's just, I mean, there's so many ways to, to, to use it. Like, 
make it, first of all, just making it a 5-5 with Tezzeret seems, <laughs> you know, that seems fine, right? Like, it's always just, like, a, a fine thing. Um, sacrificing it to Birthing Pod seems ridiculous. Oh, yeah, wow. Like, like I don't know, is there a better, like, 4-5-6 than Birthing, pod, birthing Podding, Solemn Simulacrum into Archon of Justice into um, Worm Coil Engine? I don't... The only thing that I could think about that is... I mean, I'm not saying it's enough time. I'm not saying that you're going to have enough time to play that deck. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, it, it's it's never surprising how, like, we just look at these scenarios. Like, I love these, like, goldfish, like, Timmy or Johnny scenarios that come up, like, like when are you going to play an Archon of Justice? <laughs> well, if you're, playing a, if you're playing a Birthing Pod deck, like, he might be, he might be the best five. He doesn't get bolted. He, you know what I mean. He like he's like got a four. When he go when when you birthing pot him away, he does something very significant to the board. That's true, I guess. And I mean, there's really like the fives are fairly delicate. Like a lot of the fives have been like acidic slimes or forge master, which doesn't really do anything. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You know, or precursor golem, which is just like sometimes awesome and sometimes fatal. Is there the ability to run white though, or does it? Have I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what the the deck is. It's just um, that that that's a, that's just a sequence. Birthing pod deck, but it's it's less birthing pod, more splicers, uh, more just like aggressive creatures. Yeah, you have splicers. You have you have a good cr- curve. You have only like two uh, um, two. What's it called? Can we pause real quick? My grandma's calling. Oh sure. Alright, back. But, uh, yeah, it's like two birthing pods, and then the rest was just an aggressive curve, and there's like seven one-ofs in the deck that go up to, like, Elish Norn. Right, right. Which, I, I don't really like that deck, but I'm I'm looking to, you know, uh, I guess if we're an effort, if I had to pick a deck where I just wanted to do something fun, I would probably pick, like, Green-White Eldrazi. <laughs> I, 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 I want to play with that, uh, the format of card that you just get to put them into play. Oh, Quicksilver Amulet. Yes, I, I, I just want to play with that, and I want to play with... Well, I, I love Wall of Omen, Overgrown Battlement, like, shenanigans. Right. Like, I just want to do that. <laughs> but for the series, like, I would probably... I think I'd actually end up playing Velikot this weekend. Like, Velikot got way better. Like, I don't know if if the average Magic player remembers Velikot with Rampant Growth, but that was really good. <laughs> right. Ramp- rampant Growth is just... you. Let you let you do right. It, it's just a better clock. Uh, is it better or worse than Explore? Do you play both? Uh, I think you play both. I think yeah. you just now get the ability to get rid of uh, um, the uh, the enchantment. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think you just get a more consistent uh, right. ram style because I've never really liked the Calnley uh, Heart Expedition. Yeah, Calnley Heart Expedition. And uh, I, I was never really a big fan of it because, like, sometimes it was great and sometimes it was really bad. And uh, it never helped you turn four Titan. Like, you'd have to have a Haro to go with it. But right. if you just have, like, Rampant Growth plus Haro, you're getting a turn four Titan anyway. Right, right. Um, you just get an extra land out of the deal. And so, I mean, obviously that's pretty sweet, but I don't think you really need that clock right now where there's a lot of cards that you do. Like, I'd rather have Rampant Growth than... Than have horror plus expedition, right? 
But yeah. no, I'm excited. I'm excited about Bell Look at the Clock. Plus, I don't think Splinter Twins is good as everyone thought, and people aren't playing it as much. That's a, that's more important. Right. That it's not being played that much. So, like, Bellica has to worry about what creature decks again. Like, yeah, you know, that that deck pushed the, those decks out before. Right. Like, it'll do it again. Right. So you got to just play something with. Uh, that means I got to play something with Frost Titan and Spreading Seas. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, I had no clue because like. We just have to see what happens this weekend. Like, right. I, I mean, there's a SCG event, and uh, I'm just curious what's going to happen with what people play, because that's what's important. Like, metagaming is important, right. and trying to figure out what's best usually comes from that. Now, if I was playing at that event, I would play just a proactive strategy. I, I'm, I'm a big, uh, advi- you know, I like playing proactive strategies that you don't need to react pretty much at all uh, to win the game. Right. Uh, like a deck that can actually goldfish the first week of a new environment because, like, call shotting a control deck seems really impossible. So, so you, you would play something like Valakid or Splinter Twin or... Mono Red. Or, or Mono, yeah, something, something that's just pretty much a blunt instrument. Pretty much, yeah. Like, I, I, I'm going to swing this hammer at your forehead. Are you going to dodge? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've always liked playing decks like that anyway. Right. Um, they just seem, you know, you get more free wins out of always knowing if your hand's good or not. Right. Whereas, and then, so and basically your claim is that blue-white is really, like, in general, a week two deck. Like, you know, it's like blue-white, you could play it, but why don't we wait and see what wins week one, and then we'll, exactly. play, we'll play blue-white in week two. Yeah, blue-white's going to be a really good week two deck. Uh, it's got all the tools. Like, you have every tool you could possibly need in that deck. Um, you have preordain into... Like, five different two-drops you could play into, like, three different three-drops, and then a bunch of good spells. Like, I think uh, that deck can be built in any direction, but you don't know which to go in. So, yeah, I think week two, you're going to see a lot of blue-white. But uh, this first week, I think I think you're still going to see a lot of blue-white because people like playing blue-white. Right. So you'll see it top eight or whatever. But, um, no, I, I would definitely I would definitely take, take and learn from Bennis because we were talking... I don't remember, like, in the height of, right before Cobblade gets banned for being too good, yeah. Venice is trying to talk everyone into playing Velika. <laughs> and I tried, I, I just wanted him to guess, we were, we were having a ridiculous conversation about trying to put numbers on things that you can't really, you know, figure out, and the one I wanted Venice to figure out was how many times has he activated a Velika? Because the man's been playing with Velika every single Velika deck that's ever been made. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, back with Scapeshift, and then the first Valakut um, ramp decks in Standard, and then you go to every single Valakut deck that was an extended post Standard. Like, that's always been playing for two years straight. And, uh, the only, you know, he took a break to play Coplate for a week, and, uh, I mean, it worked out for him, but... <laughs> have you seen uh, Have you seen the Coplate list from the Canadian Magic Tour? Uh, are you talking about the Blade Spicer Hero... Three Stoneforge deck? No, this was this was post banning, and it's four Hawks, three Amiria Angel, and like it looks like kind of like a uh, it looks kind of like an old cowboy list. It's got a little more equipment, and it plays gravitational shift where the Jaces used to be. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so it won, it won the Canadian Magic Tour a couple weeks ago. 
Pascal Menard, the guy who invented the extended tempered steel deck from uh, for, at Worlds last year. Okay. He he built this and won the won the Canadian Magic Tour with it. And he's like, he was just like, oh, it's just awesome. Like, Splinter Twin can't do anything because they, they make a million O2s, I mean O4s, you know. Um, Goblin Guide and Grave Titan tokens are all kind of null against us. And uh, it was just kind of interesting. And then he just like, mostly he just overruns, right? It's like the blue overrun. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems really sweet. Yeah, it's like, like oh, yeah, look. I'm just thinking about how it overruns them. Yeah, he's like, I've got four flyers. <laughs> take, <laughs> take 12. It's, it makes your, like, it makes uh, even Ink Moths even a little bit better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting deck. Huh. I for, I, like, there's so many cards that I just forget are real, like, that are still in the format. Right. Well, and everyone, everyone also has, like, everyone treats cards, I think, like they're cards that are on their way out the door, like Zendikar cards that didn't get played, or even ML11 cards that maybe didn't get played. People already just think of them as being gone, so they don't really focus on those card pools when they're looking at new strategies. You know, they only look forward, they don't look back as much. Oh, I agree, yeah. You think because, like, you know, M12's coming out that you have to play cards that are from M12. Right. When, yeah, cards could have gotten better. Yeah, like Gravitational Shift, I mean, I actually forgot that card was in, was legal. <laughs> right, what was that? Was that from, was that Rise of the Eldrazi, or was that... World Wake? I don't even remember. I think it was World Wake. No, no, Rise of Eldrazi. Yeah. Yeah, it was Rise. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. 49 cents on Star City, if anyone yeah, cares. I, I, loved, I, I loved that limited format because there was just so many rares that did absolutely nothing. <laughs> right, so you just got the draft consistent common and common decks? Yeah. <laughs> loved it. Like, if you opened a rare that you actually wanted to play, there was, there's like six of them or something. Okay. What's your all right? Let me let me, let me just do a, a little Q and A with people. Like, just quick, some quick questions. What's your favorite draft format of all time? Um, that I got to participate in, I would say, uh, probably Rise. Yeah. What uh, What's one you didn't get to participate in? Uh, champions. I I love cha- I love triple champions. Yeah, I mean, I never got to play any of them. Um. But, like, from hearing about it, like, it just seemed like a really good format because nothing was overpowered and a lot of the removal was good against some things and not others. And you had to think a lot on your feet when you played it. And games actually got to finish because Soul Shift made everything super expensive. Right, right. So games actually got to finish. Like, I mean, I, I don't mind Scars Limited, but it's not the direction I want Limited to go. How so? Well, I mean, of course, like cards are made for constructive value and things like that and like limited they, they do take a look but it's just so we've been going so aggro and big monsters and like like so there's two different reasons one all you all we're doing is attacking as fast as we can or we're having big bombs and if you have a big bomb then you get to play the end game and you have these bombs in your deck um but the problem with it is like the rule of like killing creatures uh like, holding the removal for bombs was always something that you always would have, you know, was a really good play. And you'd always, like, teach, like, new kids when they're playing, like, hold your removal for a creature you can't deal with because they're going to play their bomb and you have to deal with it. Well, nowadays they all have come into play abilities and they all have these uh, ridiculous abilities that they're going to gain value regardless right. of if it lives or not. Right. Kill his bomb, but he's going to factor fiction first. Yeah, or he's going <laughs> to massacre you when you're dead anyway. 
right. or or we're, we're, you're going to get two tokens or like consecrated things. Like they get to draw two cards regardless. So even if you hold a removal for that card. Right. And you play perfect, they're right. still gaining value. Right. I'm not going to play my Spread the Sickness on anything but his Consecrated Sphinx. Yeah. <laughs> and then he still draws cards. And so, like, now the, the theory has changed. Like, if you don't have the bombs and they have the bombs, you have to use your removal on the early guys and try to go super aggressive. Right. I mean, it's, it's an interesting, interesting question. How often do you think people don't, like, take into account, like, the clock of their draft? Like... Like, basically what you're saying is that, you know, based on some of the stuff you've talked about about draft formats, like, I open up Elish Norn, my deck is going to be very different than maybe opening up a pack, not having a bomb rare, and, you know, I, I take Porcelain Legionnaire or Pith Driller or, you know, I, I, I do something conservative to stay open, mm-hmm. and, you know, just end up with this, and I'm like, oh, this is the most, you know, efficient... You know, I, I you know, you know that you're going to get this efficient blue white, you know, flying deck or something. Like, how often do you think that people don't rejigger their pick orders based on which of those two types of decks they're going to have? Does that make sense to you? I, th- I think I think uh, drafting is one of the most difficult things to do in Magic, and uh, you know, people take they don't switch it up enough when they're drafting. Right. Like, like if you have a, like, I imagine if you have a card like Elish Norn, suddenly a card like Forced Worship, which isn't great in every deck, probably shoots up dramatically in your pick order. Yeah, because if you get there, you, you know, you have your Elish Norn. Um, the other thing, like, there's even more about that is, like, I've drafted Elish Norn a couple times, and like, I think forcing a pick, though, is really bad. <laughs> I mean, would you pass Elish Norn? Well, of course not, but I wouldn't pick cards because I have an Elish Norn until oh, interesting. I'm okay. locked into something. Right. Like, so what you're willing to do is you're willing to have a you know, 41 card draft pool as opposed to a 42 card draft pool if Elish Norn is just not something that's viable for you to draft. Exactly. You know, like, I, w- I won't make a decision on my second pick based on my first ever. You know, like, you open overrun and then there's between a good like, uh, Scale of one to ten, there's a nine red and an eight green. I'm going to take the nine red. Really? Because I mean, a nine, a nine red and an eight green. Like if you said like a nine red and a six green, that seemed pretty clear to me. But like if it's an eight green, like isn't? I guess that's a that's a bad way to explain it, but pretty it's close to the same thing because like, um, I find when you're like trying to cut a color, like sometimes it, it depends on a draft. It really does. And, yeah, of course. And Scars is a different format because you can actually go through colors and be fine with artifacts and, and stuff like that. Um, but I like... What I'm more explaining, trying to say is I like to draft 3 decks. <laughs> and I do. Um, I like to have a deck that can win a draft pot, especially in a professional tournament. Right. Um, because the difference between, you know, top 8, 16th, and... and you know, 32nd, like, there's one that really sticks out there. Right. And, you know, top 16, top 32, they're practically the same result. Like, obviously, top 16 is way better than top 32, but, you know, that's what one or two wins will do different. And, and that one or two win could be in one draft pick? Uh, it can be in how the way goes in a draft, yeah. Yeah. And it could be a draft pick, yeah. I mean, draft picks change everything up. Like, 
if there's two cards that are like if those are the only two cards in the pack and I didn't pass a and I already passed a green card while taking a green card I might take the green card right you know it, it, it just it completely depends on what you're passing like I guess I I take up I take in a lot of information when I'm t- making my decisions and drafting so it's hard to say like one pick you know does that change it because like what I'm passing changes things. What I think my opponents are taking changes things. Like, if they took a common, it could change over an uncommon. Like, I don't know. Right. And there's all sorts of things that could also affect that on top of that, right? Like, I mean, to, to use an extreme situation, taking, like, uh, a draft format like Odyssey Torment Judgment, where, you know, suddenly you, where you know pack two is going to be super heavy black, right? Like... You know that's that's going to affect your decisions, and or like how blue, green, and red in, in Scar's format are are better in Besiege than than uh, white and blue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, you, you want to be in red for pack two if no one to your left is in red because you just get every Burnley Impure and yeah. into the Royal or into the Corridge. It's insane. Blister Six Shaman. You just got to fill your deck up full of those, or like you know, Corrupted Conscience and things like that. But uh. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's drafting. Like, I think drafting is the best part about Magic. Like, I, I, I love limited. I love live limited, like, good limited games. And, uh, I mean, for the last, like, month, I've just been drafting a ridiculous amount on, online so much that, you know, I started putting drafts up on Star City because usually I'm playing Constructed online. But lately, because of all the formats changing and things, like, there's not a real format on Moto. Uh, that like pairs up with standard, so I've just been drafting a ton. I mean, I'm even going back to old formats like M11. I loved M11. <laughs> I, I hope M12 is as good as M11. M12 sounds like it's uh, sounds like it's an interesting format because everyone was talking about like the the Sphinx of Athen and you know like you know, everyone was talking about like oh these seven mana bombs that do something incredible, but apparently it's actually the, really fast. The format is like hella fast. Yeah, I, I ended up doing a draft in my local town, and I guess it really wasn't fair to say because, like, I got a seven pick fireball. <laughs> yeah, so Let, I'm just seriously, Brad, Brad, you should have just passed it. <laughs> I know, right? Like, <laughs> like my table is fireball. <laughs> I'm, oh, but yeah, I drafted Mama Red, and I was just like the super aggressive. I had I had two of the one one butters, two guys. Yeah, and I had three of the uh, the goblins on one. Oh my god. Okay. The the Fire Slinger guy? Yeah, Fire Slinger. I had three of them. And then I had uh, three of the 2-2 um, Bloodthirst 1 First Strike guy. Oh, uh, the guy who becomes a 3-3 First Striker? Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I had a couple other creatures. Like, I had, like, the Haste, the, the Uncommon that gives Haste and some other stuff. But I had a card that I didn't even, like, I, I noticed there's two cards, two enchantments, that I didn't know existed until I went this weekend. One was Oblivion Ring, which was surprising. <laughs> Somebody Oblivion Ring me, and I'm like, they made that what? again? Like, I didn't even know it. But the re- the one player, uh, what's it, Pandemonium? Or oh, yeah, it's like a six It's like a six mana Pandemonium. Jeez, that card's insane. That's funny. Like, they printed that? Like, I, I opened it, and I'm like, okay, I guess I take... Like, at first I thought it was just Pandemonium, then I read it, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take that. Like, right, it's, it's Pandemonium for me. <laughs> yeah, just me, yep. I had some late game cards, like, you know, the game stalls out. I put that on the board, and I'm like, all right, we're drunk online for the rest <laughs> of the game. 
Right. But yeah, and then I had the uh, crown or whatever that deals one. Yeah. Like, I just loved it because I had like eight bloodthirst creatures or whatever. Right. And it doesn't cost any mana to do one, right? No, yeah. And so, you know, the turns just kept going where like he would stall out and he'd finally stabilize and I'm like, all right, to you, to you, to you. Until, you know, he eventually like had to like attack me or something because he was just going to die and it's pretty sweet. Like, I, I definitely didn't think the format would be this aggressive. This is the most aggressive course that I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think the most complex course that I've ever seen. Like, in, oh, ter yeah. in terms of like, you know, Bloodthirst to me seems, you know, a little more sophisticated than we've seen in a core set. Oh yeah, I mean, I think I think it's very. I mean, look at the two planeswalkers that are reprints that they put in here, Starn and Gideon. Like those right. are pretty advanced planeswalkers. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, cards like uh, like all sorts of weird cards, like Vengeful Sphinx. Is that is that I think his name? That's like a, a really interesting card. Is that the Vengeful Pharaoh? Vengeful Pharaoh. That's it. Right. Yeah, Vengeful Pharaoh. Oh, I had to play against that guy too. Yeah, that card just sealed. I played a sealed. I got a great deck for you at Nationals, Brad. I'm whipping, actually, you know. Fauna, you know Fauna, Fauna Shaman and Vengeful Pharaoh. <laughs> I mean... You draw your best creature every turn. So. You draw your best? Oh, well, yeah, Vengeful Pharaoh, and then it comes back on top. You draw it, you pitch it, you go get something good. Yeah, no. <laughs> All right, okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. Only one year's enough for me. <laughs> Can't do it. All right, I'll make... All right, I, I, yeah, I'm... I'm, Don't keep Fauna Shaman deck. What's that? Don't give me another gimmicky Fauna Shaman I, I promise I won't. I promise. So, but, uh, yeah, I had to play against that, and the only way I beat it was I used, like, the Azure Mage, the guy that can draw a bunch of cards. Uh, that, card, that card seems so good. It is. It's so good. Like, I, my sealed, I only had uh, Soren's Vengeance as, like, a rare. Yeah. And I guess I had the clone, and I had, like, a couple Gravediggers, a bunch, like, two of the Death Touch Mages, two of the Drop Mages, two Morphog Looter. Oh, my gosh. Some, some good removal of Fireball. But I, I ended up playing two rounds and then dropped. I, I uh, went and hung out with a friend. But uh, the, I, every game that I won, I won all four games that I played, and it was in combination with a... Soren's Vengeance. Like, I had to win with that card. <laughs> so I would get in these huge board positions, like clunky boards, where he couldn't attack because I everything could have death touch, but I can't attack because I'm at, like, 8 life. Right. And, and they're at, like, 20 until I get them to 10. And, uh... But, like, against the Pharaoh game, I traded with that on turn 5, and I'm playing a deck that now I have to Alpha Strike him. So we go until I have 3 cards left in library, and then I finally Alpha Strike him. Because he was drawing live every turn for me to have to draw something. Right. I got to wait until I got, like, you know. And I played the 7-4 Trampler because I needed a guy. My, my pool was not good. That's that's the guy that, like, you kill, you, you nuke him at the end of combat? Yeah. Yeah. And so I played him, and I copied him with my clone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to get enough damage to actually kill him. It's pretty unreal. That's awesome. But, yeah, that guy just... It, it's not a real... See, those are the... Like, I don't like these magic cards. They, they don't seem real to me. Like, you know, it's an, an abyss for your opponent, plus you get, like, your best guy back. Like, in Limited, like, these cards, I think, are just a little bit you, too you're, good. You're talking about Shellred? Huh? You're talking about Shellred? Uh, Shieldred? Shieldred? Is that who you're talking about? No, I'm talking about the Vengeful Pharaoh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, like he, if you attack, if you attack, like so, think of a situation where we're both top decking against each other, which will come up. And I have a vengeful pharaoh. Right. If you go runner runner dude, while I go runner runner land, you still can't beat me unless I'm like at lethal. Right. Until you can alpha strike me. So like, if we're both at like twelve life, you draw enough. You, you draw in life, we draw in dead. Still makes me win the game. Unless you draw so live that you can alpha me. And if I draw spells and you don't, then the game's just over. Right. So, I mean, I don't really like cards that can put a person in that position. Like, you can get back to parity and have no chance of winning. Right. Yeah. You just need to oblivion ring it while it's in play. Yeah, or passive. I, I, I saw that they have passive. Too. Like, there are answers to it. You just can't kill anything in graveyards either, though. Yeah. What's your what's your favorite constructed deck of all time? Constructed deck of all time. Yeah, that you've played. That anyone's played, no, or that I played. That you've played, and then that anyone's played. But okay, um, my favorite constructed deck of all time that I've played probably was the regionals that I ended up qualifying for my first nationals. Okay, I played uh, blue red. Um, it was the hatching plans deck. Oh, awesome. Yeah, uh, me and a guy online, Julio Juwadi, were, like, the original, like, designers of that deck. And that was before Swath uh, came out. Right. And then the deck got really gross. Like, we were just killing with, like, Empty the Warrens and Ignite Memories. Right. Um, but I ended up taking that to regionals, and I knew how to play it really well. And everyone in my local town, you know, was making fun of me about it. And uh, I finally get to top eight, where you have to win the first round to actually make it. Yeah. And we get to a point where I have to... He's got three cards, I get three rolls, and I have to hit one of his cards. Because uh, I have a bunch of goblins to play that he's going to damnation next turn. Right. And uh, um, so if I hit the damnation, he's at four life, I kill him. Right. You've re- I assume you've remanded a damnation? That's how uh, you know yeah. it's there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so first roll with... Second roll hits his one his card that costs one. So he actually has now I know he has extra paid, so I'm under one roll, and he has extra paid to take my ignites now, and then I have no win conditions left. Right. So you know roll. He thinks he hits it, like he thinks he got the good one. He like looks at it, just flips the damnation really sad over. Then like Corey jumps on me, and like I go to my first nationals. You know it was just like a fun fun deck to roll coins or flip coins and. Roll dice, and uh, I got to play delay. Oh wow! Fun. And I just smashed the entire tournament. Yeah. So that that was by far my favorite favorite one, mostly because it was my first big tournament and my first real deck that I built, and my first real piece of success. Success. And I got to draw like a ridiculous amount of cards all day. Yeah, H- hatching plans was just when that when that worked. When you got to do that, that was so insane. Oh, with with perilous research. Yeah. <laughs> like end of turn, draw five. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I played that. I, I don't remember what. I think it was a regionals. Uh, like the next year, I played a version of that that Billy had designed. So it had like the it had all the the burn combos, but it also had like the storm elemental. And so like I don't even know. It was like some crazy deck. It was that was so much better after sideboarding because we had Tarmogoyfs in our sideboard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it'd be like, oh, you know, sack this artifact, sack this land, cycle this street wraith, you know, <laughs> and then you'd have, like, these insane Tarmogoyfs. Like, it was really hard to lose a sideboard game, 
but your game one was pretty bad. <laughs> Don't you love those decks that if you could just switch something out in round two, you'd crush the event? I, if I could have, if I could have just made the Tarmogoyf's main deck, I, I'm I'm pretty certain. Um, you know, because no one else really like one other person I saw in the room other than the people with our deck had Tom Ridley for that event. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was just like no, no one really had it. And if I could have had the main deck, it would have just been insane. <laughs> so so bizarre. What, what's your favorite deck that's not yours that you didn't play? Um. Well, not that that I mean, I guess I did play it, but I I'll say Cobbler. Yeah. But not with my results, with everyone else's, besides, like, Kibler and Ice. Like, I guess we played it, but um, I kind of forgot about that before the hatching plans, actually. Yeah. But that was unreal. Like, um, taking a deck that strong to a Pro Tour was one of the, you know, originally one of the best feelings ever. I mean, I didn't that well with it, uh, nor did Kibler, but everyone else on the team just, like, destroyed it. Right. Like the tournament got destroyed by the, with the deck, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun to actually you right. know, be and part of that and right. watch and a deck destroy a, a pro tour like that. Since I mean that was like my eighth pro tour, and I've gotten a good feel of how people bring constructed decks, and to be that ahead of everyone right. was pretty shocking. Right, and it's weird, right? Like because if you look ninth through sixteenth, there's so many more copies of that deck that just got yeah. knocked back by itself. Yeah, we we. The, the team ran into itself a lot in the last couple of rounds. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of insane, you know. Like, yeah, not because not, I think in 16th is Eric, Eric Lindries. I don't know how you say his name. I know it's unusual, right? But I think he's in 16th place with it. And I, Oh, yeah, yeah, Eric. Eric, yeah. And then someone's in 9th place with it, too. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, it was 9th, Luis? I think it was 9th or 10th or something like that, but yeah, like... And Owen was in there, too. Yeah. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, no, it was it was, it was a fun tournament to uh, be part of. Um, and it was also sweet to have that deck in the playoff. Cause, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, well, well, he was boarding in Stoic Rebuttal because it was his only, you know, counterspell. I was sideboarding out Stoic Rebuttals because <laughs> they were too slow. <laughs> right. So yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was nice to a gunfight. It was it's so funny. I mean, you can certainly see that in retrospect too, right? Like everyone was really excited about the Tezzeret decks at that event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh Tezzeret, 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 and you know, and Tezzeret gets a slightly you know a high profile because Patrick does well with it, and because Guillaume's playing it in the playoff, it also gets a little more attention. But like that deck has not really, you know. Done anything, done anything in, in the wake of that event. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, uh, the format's too aggressive, and, uh, like, what do you add to an Ezra deck? Like, I think they were afraid of having another nightmare scenario with, like, an artifact deck that was too powerful. Right. So I don't think they gave Tezzeret all the tools it really needed. Like, you just can't really do much in, in the first couple turns to make a Tezzeret really powerful. Right. Um, and the and all the artifacts are cheap enough to make you think it's there, but also expensive enough to not do anything like super busted. Right. Where like all the other decks can just you know do something broken. Tezzeret like doesn't do it like, but it feels like it does because when you lose to a Tezzeret deck, it's a snowball. Like once Tezzeret act, the second activation of Tezzeret when you're ahead puts you so far ahead that like you can't even lose. Yeah. But to get to that point in the game just. I don't know. It doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. 
So who, who's, who's, I'm, I'm happy they picked that for the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> who, who's your favorite uh, Magic player of all time, aside from yourself and your Paolo. brother? Paolo. Yeah? So funny. He's so funny. Like, I love the band to death, but he just, he whines all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whines all the time while winning, like, while top eighting, like, one in four events in, like, in his life. He runs, I'm actually holding right now, because, like, we started a grudge, a joking grudge last year with the playoff stuff, that still goes to this day, and I was shocked that he actually had his own, like, pro player card from back in the day, and he, he just, like, hands me one one day, and it's like... For my biggest fan, Brad Nelson, with love, Paolo Vitar. <laughs> so now my goal is to beat him with this. So I'm going to have to take this to every tournament now, from now on, that's, and pull this out when I play against him. That's awesome. Yeah, that's my goal now. But like, where, 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 where do you think Paolo ranks all time? All time? Yeah. I mean, the problem with that is, I don't know. I didn't get to play with John or Kai. Right. Or any of the older guys. Like, I don't know much of that history. Right, you just smash Kai easy game, right? You're like, whatever, this Kai yeah, guy. smash Kai easy game. Like, <laughs> we actually play a match where what we do ourselves only matters if we screw up. Right. <laughs> like, we're, we're just playing the most technical creature-based matchup ever. <laughs> right, right. There's no outplaying each other. There's no out-level. Like, you can out-level yourself and make a mistake. Right, right. But, like, it doesn't matter what's going on. Like, you can't bluff a spell. Like, every time you have an instant, you just have to play it. Like, the only one is Brave, and I'm going to have to play my removal no matter what. I'm not going to be able to, like, hold it and try to get him to Brave somewhere else because he's not going to Brave until he kills me. Right. And all my removal is, like, Sorcerer Speed. Right. So, like, there was just no outplaying. But, uh, um, I mean, I wish I knew how they, they played it, but I think he's probably, like, like... I guess, yeah. I mean, right now, I think he's the second best player in the world. Uh, who, who's the first best player? Luis. Luis? Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny, like, you know, didn't you feel like in the first half of this year, like, people were ready to, you know, people always seem ready to write Luis off. Not like anyone wishes Luis, you know, but, like, they just can't believe he could still be as good as he is. Yeah, I mean, well, Luis has... I mean, while he's top 16 in Pro Tour Paris, you know? Like, oh, I don't know if Luis has it anymore. <laughs> He's tough if you like every pro tour he's ever played, right? Like, like in the last like three years. He's yeah, he's he's just ridiculous. Yeah, like close to it, and like I guess I mean he is. I mean he lost some spotlight when you know a bunch of other Americans were doing things like crazy, um, like Owen and I. Right. But I mean he also hasn't been making too many Grand Prix top eights, but the guy's been like doing insane at pro tours, and then finally you know he takes another Grand Prix down. Like I think he's just. All time, I would, I would be like, I'm not going to actually bet, but I, if I was a betting man, I would bet Luis was all time if you could prove it somehow. You, you like, think there's a po possibility of proving it? But you think he's best all time? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I watch him play. I don't know. I don't know how somebody else could be better. Maybe. I mean, if he if he was playing serious, like there's definitely the one thing, and maybe I don't know about the old pros, but like we dirtle a lot. Especially in testing. Right. And like, I think Luis Dirtles at Grand Prix too, where I, I focus really hard on Grand Prix. I think he's even just there to have fun sometimes. Okay. But like when he's on his game, I it's 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 unreal. And I, I mean maybe Kai and Finkel did the same thing and, and, and you know I mean certainly certainly I mean Kai never 
you know, once Kai was not playing at his maximum focus, Kai stopped playing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think for him it was like, he's like, oh, you know, I've lost two miles an hour on my fastball. I'm going to go play WoW. I mean, it makes sense. I, I can understand why. Um, John has always had the ability to dial it up when he wants to dial it up. Mm-hmm. Like, John, John, John's brain is kind of like the eye of Sauron. You know, and like if he turns to focus it on something, he can just you know destroy it. But he has to. But he has to turn it on to something. Yeah, and and I guess that's not exactly how I am. But like I get that a lot with a lot of the test team. Like they say, like I play different when I'm in tournaments, when I'm not in tournaments. Right. And I don't. I can't even control it. Like it's just when I'm in a tournament, I'm a different person. What was, what was, let me ask you a question. I mean, obviously you'd played in some tournaments, you played at nationals, you played in some PTQs, but like, you would just never, you, you're, you're, you're an online player coming into Hawaii. I mean, that's not, that's not that true, no. And the book explains that. Okay. Um, that side of the story is a little bit false. Um, I played, I mean, I, I would go to FNM every once in a while. I would, I would go to PTQs. I think I won my like, Ninth to eleventh PTQ, right? Something along that lines. I played like ten of them okay. before I won one, and uh, I mean I top aided most of those. So it was kind of a grind to, a frustrating grind to actually get to the pro tour. Okay. So I, I kept making top eights and missing, and I played PTQs for about a year and a half until I got there. Okay. And but in in North Dakota, you only get one a season or two a season right. or whatever. Okay, so so by the time you sat down for round one of, of Seattle, you're you're pretty much you're pretty much accustomed to that grind. Yeah, it's not like Bing Luke who had to learn how to shuffle cards. Luke Reed? No, B- Bing Luke. Or Bing Luke? Uh, that's Reader Rabbit, right? Uh, Reed Rabbit is Reed Duke. Duke? What? There's so many big players that are about to break out. B- of the Bing Luke is Prolepsis. Okay, yeah, and then and then we've got like Ship It and Sip It Holler that are both crushing a lot. Right, one of them is Michael Hetrick. I know who's the other one. Um, his buddy, I forgot his name. But, yeah. Um, I should know it. Yeah, I, I know his picture on Facebook. Right, <laughs> give give you have to give him a deck deck at uh, Star City Indie now because you forgot his name. <laughs> I mean, it, Star City where? At the oh, Star City <laughs> Star City Indie, you have to give him a, a deck deck now because you forgot his name. So it goes. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there's so many ridiculous moto grinders that are coming Reed, out. Like, Reed, Reed, really, Reed Duke really reminds me of you and Luis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean specifically of you in the sense of someone who comes to play in these, these bigger events and has like he has a really good mental game, mm-hmm. which is something that you have. Um, you know what I mean? Like you know, like. You, you and again, I, and I assume that this is honed at like these kind of like cutthroat PTQs that you're going through. <laughs> but uh, you know, he I mean he sits down and he really has like that kind of ability to, you know, make plays that are not the plays on paper. If you know what I mean, like you know, oh, the, yeah. you know what I mean. Sort of go, okay, well, if I'm going to make this play, then he expects me to make this play. So I actually have to make the first play that's the bad play. You know what I mean? Like that kind of like weird tango of thinking and overthinking and then doubling that's, back. I, I love, that's like, those are the games that I love when you actually like 
are having a war with what your opponent's thinking and not what's happening on the table. Yeah, I love the match in Amsterdam between you and Conley. <laughs> that match was so great. <laughs> you know, it was just like, uh, you know, you know the conundrum sphinx. Yeah, I, I so I attack for anyone that doesn't know. You can go read about this on MagicGathering.com. But I have conundrum sphinx against Conley, and I know he's got overrun in his deck. Plus, I know he's sandbagging some kind of removal spell. And so when I attack him with the conundrum sphinx, I name the gate that's in my hand already. Because I want to be able to use all my mana the next turn, and I want him to cast the spell he's trying to sandbag. Right. Um, just for the tempo reasons. And uh, and so I just name negate, letting him know that I have a negate, and I'm looking for a negate when I already have the negate. Yeah. So then he plays his spell, and then I negate it. Yeah. <laughs> and then play, my, then play out the rest of my hand. Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he, I remember, yeah, that was, that was he was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> in the way, the way that only Conley can really do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to Denver. I, oh, I forgot. Conley lives there. I'm going to have to give him a call today and see if he wants to hang out sometime this week. That'd I love awesome. some Conley time. That that man is so absurd. I, w- I will look forward to some insane Facebook updates yeah, if that happens. <laughs> Maybe we'll record something. And I'll, and I'll keep some bail money at the ready. <laughs> uh, I mean, when I kill him? <laughs> I didn't say for what. <laughs> yeah, so if that guy dies in the next week, I have, you know. You, you, you no longer have an alibi. Yeah, no, it's pretty bad. <laughs> All right, I won't, I won't post this until Friday. Wait, you mean like in days? Yes. I mean, that's that's the same thing, right? Well, you get a little bit of a window. Oh, okay. Like if you, like if you, if you kill him at the luggage area, <laughs> you know. That means he was picking me up. I can't really kill him there. Yeah, yeah. That's like, he's true. being really nice then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay, all right. So. <laughs> it's mostly after, you know, a couple days of hearing him, you know, speak. I'm just I'm just kidding. I, I love Conley Woods, everyone. <laughs> Man, you, really, he is like... You guys, you guys are definitely frenemies, right, though? Well, no, so what it is, we're not frenemies at all. Like... What it is, is he thinks that we are equals, and I know we're not. <laughs> that's, that's just... <laughs> it's plain and simple. Uh, like, that's the truth. It all started in, in San Diego when I made a ridiculous statement that I could beat him in 12 out of 15 matches, which we are 2-0. You know, I'm 2-0 right now. But, uh... But uh, the whole group got fell in love with this idea, so now they forced us to be frenemies. Right, right. Like, they make us uh, be on separate teams when we team draft all the time, every time, no matter what. I've never been on a team, which I'm fine with. Right. You know? I'm fine having, you know, Conley as not a teammate. <laughs> but uh, but I think my, my favorite part is when we were, like, in Singapore testing... Uh, we had, we got a hotel, and we all, like, because of what happened with uh, Paris, with everyone getting our deck, we were like, okay, we were all just rooming with teammates. And, you know, within a week of us knowing where we're going to stay in Singapore, Luis is like, sorry, Brad, the only person left to room with is Conley, totally <laughs> random. <laughs> totally random, I can't let you see the method of randomization, mm-hmm. or the giggles on the email chain. <laughs> You're rooming with them. Which is fun. Like, I love him. Like, 
It's kind of like the games I play with Paulo. Like, Paulo and I play the scratch match, and I know for a fact he is way better than me. But I do know that last year I got to take something away from him that he wanted. And, Ooh. you know, he's a stubborn guy. He, he likes getting what he wants. Right. And he, he wanted player of the year? He wanted player of the year. And so I have something he wanted. So now, you know, I, I we get to play this game of breaking rights. Right. It'd be very interesting. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, certainly both he and Luis are in a position, and Owen, really, right? Like, and Ben are all in a position to, to, to POI, but... I, I would, I would, I mean, and as much as I would love to see Ben or Owen get it, you know, that would be a great story. I, I, I would love to see LSV and Paulo neck and neck down the stretch. Maybe they'll tie. <laughs> now ties are boring now. It's got to be. Uh, we got to come up with something new, like some, Maybe something. Play in the finals, they get both titles. Yeah, something bigger than a tie. Well, what if what if they play in the finals and somebody gets two titles to win? Right. Oh, that's true. They play in the, you know. Worlds and whoever right. wins a match gets both. Right, they're within a couple points of each other going into yeah. the finals. I mean, that's the story, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would yeah, be that sick. would be the insane story. I mean, any any race, I think both of them, you know, deserve a Player of the Year. I mean, they've definitely like locked up Hall of Fame already. Right. What about what about you? Do you do you feel like you don't have it in you to to repeat this year? This this exact year? Yeah. I mean, I've had a, a rough start. Um, I don't think I'm playing terrible. I actually think I'm, I've learned a lot more about the game this year than I did know about it last last year. But variance hasn't been on my side, and a couple deck choices were wrong. Um, a couple bad drafts. Like, I won't in it um, in Paris until, like, I drafted. I just screwed up a first pick. Like, I had Frexian Rebirth or Flesh Eater Imp, and I should have taken Flesh Eater Imp when usually you take the Wrath of God. Right. But in that draft, I should have taken Flesh Eater Imp with who was at the table. And uh, I would have ended up with a better deck. Not a way more amazing, but the whole draft would have gotten screwed up and I would have had a much better deck. Right. And uh, so that that cost me that tournament. And just those little mistakes like that cost you tournaments. Last year, I was getting little you know, fortunate events right. to like make top eights. Right, right. Things, things fell the right way. You need run good, play goods, and I'm I'm lacking in both departments compared to last year. How, how much? How much of a told? I mean, I mean, how much of it is also just like, you know, I mean, not only not only is it the strain of, of doing all that, but I mean, there's a lot of demands on you that weren't there at the beginning of last season necessarily. Oh yeah, I mean, this year I was working with Rich on the book and like. The other thing is, like, I decided to make a, you know, serious effort to improve my home life, where that's been, you know, that I neglected, and I really believe that if you want to succeed at Magic the way that I did this year, Owen is doing this year, or I did last year, like, you, you give up a lot of, you know, your regular life. Right. And I've been trying to have a better one of those, and uh, so I'm not playing as much Magic Online as I used to be. And just trying to, you know, focus on, you know, being becoming a little bit more of an adult. Oh, well, good. And not just spending, you know, eighty hours a week playing Magic and only doing that. Right. Well, I, th- I think I think in the end, the balance is what gives you a sustainable career. So. Yeah, and and the balance, um, you know, keeps me sane. <laughs> right. Right. Like, um, I mean, last year I, I I totally love what I did for three years and just grinded straight, but. I just can't do that anymore. Right. Like, I just can't grind magic. Uh, it, it can't be my only, like, 
um, like mental stability. Right. Like I need something else, and um, which I mean I'm fine with. Like that's that's where I'm at now, and I still want to play Magic for a while. Like the game's so much fun, and I love competitions. Um, I can't wait. We have another string of tournaments coming up here in the next couple of months. I can't wait to get started. Um, and I can't even wait to do some commentary. Like, I actually kind of like this side of the game. Like, I, I love just talking about this game. Like, you got it right. <laughs> I, I didn't quite have the same options you had on the other side of the table, so. <laughs> <laughs> but if you did, I think you'd pick it. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, I yeah. It's, it's, you know, if I could have played Magic when I was 17... I think I would have been able to destroy the game. I mean, my, my my focus and my memory and the sort of speed at which I process stuff was, you know, I think definitely where it needs to be for people, watching people to succeed. But, you know, by the time I started playing Magic, I was, you know, in my late 20s already. And, you know, I was never, you know, and I was always on the business side of doing things. So, you know, it's it's not, I know how hard it is to try to stay focused through a whole tournament, you know. And, you know, and it's something I think, I think that uh, certainly lends itself to uh, some use. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean... I was thinking about that the other day, though. I would, have loved, I would have loved to have been in, like, AJ's shoes or, or, or Steve's shoes when they were, like, 16 or 17 and playing the game. Oh, just grinding it, yeah. And, yeah. And, like, building on a lot of, like, those, like, fundamental years, like, through magic. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Like, the people you meet, like, the thing about Magic is it's kind of, the people you meet are awesome, but they're scary if they give you too much influence, too. Because we're all really, like, really strong, like, strong people, you know? We have our very opinionated, um, and, and so, like, I do like that the kids that are growing up, you don't see a lot of them that get, like, super influenced by the people that are around. You know what I mean? Does that make sense to you? Uh, think like think of a magic player, like getting too invested into a different magic player in the way that they like view life and things like that. Oh sure, oh sure, I see what you're saying. You're saying that everyone kind of remains themselves. Yeah, and and that, and that and that that sort of like that stubborn clash of wills and personalities is actually what drives the game forward. Yeah, well, it drives the people. Like, yeah. I mean. But, I mean, but it also drives, it also drives, I mean, think, I mean, even just talking about what you and Conley are, sort of, or you and Paulo, right, like that, that, no, but that head, that headbutting, that rivalry, you know, you don't think that that fuels Conley when he's thinking about different ways to play with acidic slime? <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's gonna, he's gonna hear this, he's gonna be so mad, you know? Uh, Con- Conley knows I love him, so. I know, and, and we all know he loves LD. <laughs> Landeth. Landeth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, he really loves land death. Yeah. So, well, you go. You go enjoy Denver. Uh, I, go, I'm, I'm going to. Thank you so much for the interview. Don't kill Conley. Uh, yeah. And uh, and everyone should go out and uh, buy Grinder. I think it's going to be on sale Monday. So Is the Monday after this goes up, I think. Really? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was coming out that weekend, but maybe it goes up Monday. Jeez. Yeah, so uh, cer- certainly within a week you'll be seeing... Yeah, within the next week. I mean, I'm going to be in the SCG Seattle on the weekend of the 22nd, 23rd, and I'll be, you know, telling a little bit more about the book, plus talking about all the great magic that's going to be there that weekend. Plus it's in Seattle where all the awesome people... Maybe Cedric Phillips will come out. Uh, that'd be awesome. I hope he does. Huh? But 
Cool. All right, well, enjoy your trip. Good luck with the books, and I will, uh, I think I'll see you, uh, I'll see you at Nationals. Yeah. Awesome. Give me a duck. All right, yeah. <laughs> you got it. Just so you know what not to do. I mean, no, I want to play your duck. You can redeem yourself this year. Okay, uh, I'm going to get to work. All right. All right. <laughs> Talk to you later, Brad.